the Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got D'Artagnan Crockett. He is a two-time Paralympian and inspirational speaker, among others. He's also a two-time medalist, uh, having won a bronze in London 2012 and again bronze in Rio 2016. So welcome on to the show, D'Artagnan. Thank you, James. Happy to be here. So for my listeners, and obviously I gave you an introduction, and if we go a little bit step further before we delve into the show, what are some of the things that I didn't divulge in the introduction that you would like the audience to know about a little bit more about you? Yeah, um, I actually just retired from my sport, and I... Uh... I decided after I decided to finish after I retired from my sport, I decided to pursue a uh, career in social work. And after this f- past semester, I I felt myself tugged in a different way. And so I actually just today I went and changed my major to sociology, and to, with a minor in social work. And now I'm pursuing inspirational speaking full time now while I'm going to school. I think that I think that's a good connection between the sociology, obviously the study of well, for people that don't know about it, study of people, and I mm-hmm. think it's a great one. I and I and it kind of goes well with. It. I did it as postgraduate study, uh, and mine was uh, studies within probably in its infancy when I did it. It was sociology in sport and exercise. So I, it's kind of gone full circle and I'm able to use like, utilize it in my day-to-day job uh, as, as a transformational coach because hmm. I'm able to at times see why people are doing certain or exhibiting certain traits or behaviors by their environment. That they're in, whereas they probably don't see that. I can see, I can probably pick it up by some of the mannerisms and how they how they speak by what I studied. Okay, I need to probably still go back and read additional material, but I think when you're that way inclined, and I think as an athlete, you and I both can, can agree, we do take a step back and reflect and, and say, well, what are the, the pros and cons of where what what we've done right and what we've done wrong? Right, not necessarily focus. 100% on what most things went wrong, which I think most people in the mainstream and in general sense will do because, okay, if something went wrong, let me try and fix the wrongs. Whereas I think as an athlete, you'll do the opposite. Well, okay, I did this right, but how could I have done it slightly a bit better? Right. And uh, that's that too it falls in like, as you were talking about with athletes, that falls into the whole Olympic model and Paralympic model, which is city of South East 40, swifter, higher, stronger. For athletes, there's no, for athletes who are training at that caliber and training with that mindset, there is no, like, I've made it to the best and now I can just kind of hang out here. You're always striving to be better. You're always trying to capitalize on your mistakes and correct them wherever you can. So as, as best as you control, you have your perfect day in competition. Oh yeah, but you would agree that doesn't always happen, though. You don't no, always. No, you, you train. Not. You train for it, but it doesn't <laughs> always happen. 
<laughs> yep. Like that's that's the mentality you want, but in that and that's just in theory. But in practice, anything can go wrong. Just anything, the smallest thing can just ruin your entire day. But in terms of, and this is where I think people get stumped on it. In terms of, you, you know, the methodology in terms of when a journalist asks an athlete, "Were you nervous?" Whereas an athlete will never respond in that way. Why do you, and I'll ask you more specifically, why do you think the actual thought never crosses your mind in terms of it being, in terms of a negative energy, in terms of being nervous? Because physiologically, there's no difference whatsoever. Right. Um, and I'm sure every athlete can attest to this, especially after they retire, is that for me, every single competition, I was nervous. From the smallest ones to the biggest ones, but the thing is, it it it, it goes back to not showing that weakness. Not because if you if you speak it, if you say that you're nervous, then you kind of speak it into existence, mm-hmm. and then that's gonna kind of sit in the back of your mind, and that's gonna uh, that's gonna alter your mindset going into that tournament. And for me, like my excitement for a tournament doesn't really, I guess, internalize within me until I've already I'm already there. For example, in uh, Rio, leading up to it, a lot of people kept asking me, am I excited? Are you nervous? I'm like, no, because this is work right now. This is, I'm just working to get there. Like, I'm focused on there. I'm not really concerned with these other emotions. And I think that's another piece of it, too, is when you do try and rule out that emotion, you, while you're training for whatever sport it is, you, you don't have room for that. You, you don't have room to entertain these emotions. But, you, but in your own way, you still have to address them, right? Whether it's in your workouts, whether it's in coaching strategies or sports psych, you have to address it in some way on your own. But to speak it into, like when you're talking to a journalist and, you, and to say that, it's, you don't, it also brings attention to yourself, I think, with, uh, especially if other athletes are watching, other people are watching. And I think as, athletes because we're seen so strong on such a dominant stage like nervousness and weakness people don't see that people don't acknowledge that athletes get nervous people don't acknowledge that athletes get scared or that there is a there is a, an intense level of pain involved in your sport win lose or draw and it's not something that's really talked about we talk about our victories and our losses but we don't talk about everything in between and, I, and everything between includes that nausea before a tournament or a competition, that nervousness before a match, that fear of injury or fear of not making it to to your goal, and also that uh, there there's a bit of there's a piece of that that makes athletes self conscious. Athletes don't talk about this, but when you're training for games, you're whittled down to a number because you have to be top whatever number in the world to qualify for that spot. And as you're training for games, your mindset is I have to be within this number to qualify for this spot. So you will down to a number. Now you're no longer a person. And that's why I like there are, there is no room for being nervous, making mistakes, being scared because like you've lost the piece of your humanity because of this number that you've been boiled down to. But you think it goes a step further, and obviously we alluded to the fact that 
with your sport being visually impaired in terms of it coming from that can you sense when an athlete is uptight nervous anxious oh, absolutely from that perspective because it, because it's been so close well, it's not hand-to-hand combat but you you get what i'm talking about in terms of yes grappling and inside. some people some people show it more than others for me i was always like i said i was always nervous before any of my matches but i had to calm myself down before i competed so i would listen to like Louis Armstrong, John Legend, just kind of a mellower sort of playlist to level myself out. And I've had a friend even comment, like, as I was coming out for a match, she was like, I don't, I don't get it, but, like, you weren't hype or anything. You just had sort of a menacing calm. And for me, that's how, like, that's, that's, that, was my, that was what worked for me. But internally, I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm screaming and I'm freaking the hell out because – like this is a huge tournament for me and I I'm in love with the sport and I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. You, if you're nervous before you do anything, it means you care about it. It means you love it and it's important to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are other athletes who you can just see it all over their face, whether they're warming up too hard, whether they're fighting too rigid, whether they're just kind of like looking around and not really paying attention. Or if it's those guys who are like incredibly hype, who get like real aggressive before the match, you see them, they come out and they're sweating and they're kind of growling and chewing on random things that you don't know that people should be chewing on. And it's a lot of it's kind of a show for athletes. It's, it's a way of presenting yourself in a way to make you look stronger, to make you look more competent, really. You're not, you're not trying to be scary or frightening. You're trying to appear to be comp- competent and confident in what you're doing. So people don't see that nervous side of you. People don't see that fear of competition that is within every last one of us as athletes. But you, you would be surprised and probably the audience would be surprised to hear that. But in terms of people, I'm not saying being underconfident or over or trying to compensate and being overconfident by portraying or um, trying to mask or actually give off that kind of energy in terms of, trying to put a facade on mm-hmm. whereas if you put it from a perspective of say a training environment most people would say those type of individuals are the most confident people in the world be it we'll put sport into as an entertainment factor they are they they, they have like a sense of no care in the world kind mm-hmm. of right and that sort of so are you talking about uh, athletes who sort of have a demeanor where like they don't really care or they just seem so confident they kind of make their sport look easy? Well, I would, I would, I would probably come under the, the, the former because I'm not, that, that has, and I'll be honest with people, that has hurt me at times in the past because mm. you, you have coaches say, well, you, you kind of have this demeanor that, you could care less. Whereas, well, right. why would I put my body through that if I didn't care? Because people would think you're crazy. Because why mm-hmm. would you do that if you didn't care? Exactly. <laughs> and I think part of it's kind of a balance of you want to, we want to seem competent in your, in your craft, in your sport, in whatever you're doing, but you also don't want to allude to that you don't care. 
And in a lot of ways, it, for some athletes, it may seem easier for them to do their competition, but that comes with years and years of practice or whether it's in their competition or it's some sort of life events that's hardened them to being able to invest themselves in that sort of environment. And, and honestly, I think for the athletes who sort of kind of come off as cocky and don't care about their sport, those are the ones who will have a very short lived career of like highlights but then they typically burn out whether it's they just don't do well or their mind gets sort of pulled away from the sport essentially. And, and then they end up not caring. And then the sport's just not as important to them. And they start doing terribly, but they're still putting on this facade that they really care about the sport. Like I've seen that sort of, I've seen that sort of transformation in a lot of different teammates and even across other sports training, as long as I have, like some people who you'll people on the outside of the sport will be looking in and saying like, Oh, this person's so confident. They're like really cocky. They, it doesn't even seem like they care less, really care about the sport. But then like those of us who see that person every day in trainings or in competitions, we're like, yeah, this person's kind of a jerk and they don't really care about the sport and they're going to burn out much quicker than everyone else. And they're not going to have prolonged success. They're not going to do much outside of the sport. And on that spectrum, in, in terms of what you talk about, D'Artagnan, where would you position yourself, be it now that you've retired, but then previously when you were competing? Obviously, it's going to fluctuate slightly. Right. So, honestly, for me, judo started out as a means to an end. Um, I was living in inner city Cleveland, and uh, after my first documentary aired, ESPN Carry On, uh, the the um, the coaches on the Paralympic side saw the documentary and was like, well, we can't really find visually impaired athletes in the U.S. It's a tough thing to do. And this guy's already a wrestler and he's an athlete. Let's get him out here to see if he'd like to try judo. I, of course, not knowing anything about the sport of judo until 18, said yes, because my home life in Cleveland was not at all stable. And like, I just needed something better. And judo became that. And with nothing else to really distract me, like I dove all into judo. Yeah, I went to school part-time here and there, but I pushed school to the side and really pursued judo because I didn't really know what was going to emerge from it. It was just better than what I had. And I fell in love with it immediately. And for me, it was, it was what saved my life, really, jumping into the sport of judo, jumping into sports in general. Um, and when we think of like athletes and, you know, what defines them as an athlete, a lot of people would think that like a big triumphant moment is that big defining piece of an athlete. Like they would think that it's the medals that they've won or the games that they've made or like how long they've been competing. For me, my most defining moment as an athlete is deciding to join the wrestling team. Like it was one choice in high school that I made a long time ago. and. Like thinking back now, if I'd have made a different decision, I would not have turned out to be the person that I am. Like I have no idea which which road that I would have walked down, but it wouldn't be here. And yeah, and as I said, judo for me was all it was in the beginning was a means to an end, and then it became life saving for me and therapeutic in many ways. And do you think that is why you, what we discussed about before we came on air? 
it is that selfishness, not, not, not necessarily selfishness, but that self-willingness drive to not deviate off the tracks in terms of I'm going to focus 100% on this route wherever it takes me and kind of let, not let things fall by the wayside, but they're a little bit less important to me for this period of time that I've got on this journey, so be it relationships, school, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, I think for me, adopting that was less to do with me wanting to be selfish and more to like this, all my eggs are in this basket. <laughs> there, there's no other alternative. I like it. I'm sorry this comes off as selfish, but I need to do this for me because everything leading up to this point has for a long time, what I felt has been for nothing. And now I finally have a chance to pursue something bigger than myself. And like, as I pursued judo more, that's when I realized everything leading up to that point in my life has strengthened me in a way to, to pursue that stage of judo with little, very little experience and, and throw all into it because I, there are certain skills and certain, I guess, survival techniques that I had that a lot of people didn't. Like, for example, uh, when I got into the sport, uh, like when, when we hear the term hungry, like, oh, he's hungry for something, he's hungry for the medal, he's hungry for that tournament. I, growing up, like there are times I go days at a time being hungry. And like, it's, it's a different sort of hunger. If like knowing that like being physically hungry, if you can kind of deal with that most of your life, like being hungry for a match or a tournament just seems easy. It just seems like the right thing to do because it, it called out to me and I answered it. And do you think that's the true calling of be it when people use the terms, the grind, the uh, like grit mentality? Do you think in terms of when you have it coming from those humble beginnings, that's where it really um, actually constitutes those real meanings of the word? Yeah, absolutely. Um Especially in terms of humble beginnings, because uh, it's you, you live a different kind of life. For me, like it was like I had all the skills of what it takes to survive and be a warrior, but like growing up, I didn't have like structure on how to be a self-sufficient adult, and I didn't learn those things until I got into judo, and then. Like I learned those things, but they still kind of took a back seat because judo was still that grind. And that's what I've, that's what I've known how to do all my life is how to grind and how to push forward and how to move through adversity and whatever other obstacles stood in front of me. And that was, I think if I'm being honest, that's part of like why I like really stuck in judo so long is because of in a lot of ways, like the survival sort of instinct kind of kicked in and it, really sort of fine-tune my focus on this sport, on judo. But would you, would you not say that your situation growing up, to you more specifically, is not adverse because having lived in it... Exactly. adaptable to that environment, and that's probably where I think probably most disabled athletes could probably relate to when you, you, you're kind of thrust on that wording from probably the an outward source well oh you 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 you've overcome adversity well i never saw it as that it was this mm-hmm. is the hand i've been dealt with and because of 
okay, our, our, our paths are slightly different. The, the environment I was in, it's you kind of sink or swim because of that's of the nature of, of the mm-hmm. family I had surrounded by me. Obviously, I'm not going to feel that nature of being a victim because it's like, well, I, I know no difference, so I'm going to plow on. Whereas I think with, with you, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, it's probably been adaptable to, and I don't say necessarily an extreme, but an extreme in those circumstances and adapting to be able to a, have a survival mentality in the, in the no sense of the word. Right. Um, and I think, I think you're absolutely right with that because it was my lived experience. And the thing is, I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better until I got out of it, really. And uh, that's not to sort of attest to my, um, my physical impairment, to my vision. It was uh, growing up in inner city Cleveland, being homeless in high school for about three years, and uh, just the struggles of living in an inner city city that like, I didn't realize that this wasn't normal life until I got out of it. But at the same time, growing up, I didn't know any different. So this was, this was my life, and this was just how I had to move through it and then sort of adopting sort of the lessons that I learned in judo which was that sort of grinding surviving mentality in judo having all the workings for that (laughs) like just having to fight through tournaments through practice training camps and holding on to something that you don't necessarily know is there and I think that's probably the, the the biggest piece of it is a lot of athletes or a lot of people who have disabilities and go into sports is you're holding on to this dream that seems impossible for the outside, whether that's traveling, like maybe your biggest goal is traveling to an international tournament. Maybe your biggest goal is making an Olympic or Paralympic games, or maybe it's just like winning a medal at like, like your, your national tournament. And that's fine. But it's, it's something that for you, it's tangible. It's something that you can grasp, even though you don't really see it. Because your, your mind is set on that one thing. And that's what you've been conditioned to do like through your sport or through whatever. My, well, for me, it was mainly through sport and like through my own, my, my own hardships throughout my life. But let me ask you this, Dantan. You, you talk about goals there and talk about tangible ones. Do you think people in general should maybe try and push the boundaries of their goals and their goal setting to be on this probably where athletes won't say necessarily succeed because our whole whole life is regimented to a T <laughs> where everything is it is designed for a purpose to to succeed on that given day at a game so everything is generally focused on a four-year cycle so obviously we are have that long-term goal of mm-hmm. every four years of of being there but from for the everyday joe would you think it would be best for them to say as opposed to trying to t- ascertain a i shouldn't use the term mediocre but a goal that's probably normality athlete is easy to achieve and then mm-hmm. you kind of get stuck because, oh, what do I do now? I've attained this goal. I thought it was going to stretch me. I've achieved it. 
well, what do I do now? Whereas opposed if you probably did one, what was going to stretch you and push you to your extremes where I think athletes at, the, at themselves are very comfortable being in that kind of environment from a training perspective. But if we put it into a mental perspective, as opposed to, as opposed to physical, trying to push yourself, would it be better suited to that individual? Um, it, it is better suited to each individual, uh, with, with trying to achieve goals. Um, I, it makes me think of the underdog narrative. It's uh, something that like, I've elaborated on and I'm, I start, I'm starting to talk on in uh, a lot of my talks is uh, I think that we're so drawn to the narrative because it's so relatable. Because it's not the big triumphant victories and the underdog stories that we see that make them relatable. It's, it's those feelings and those emotions that we see play out in our day to day. Those feelings of joy, pain, despair, heartache, celebration, and most of all, hope. But the difference in the underdog story is it's, to me, it is the epitome of creativity and desire. Because we all have desires. We all can be creative. But from what society sort of dictates and what's the norm is like if you have that desire, you have to set this regiment of goals for work, work inside your organization until you get ready for a promotion, do that for your track for school or whatever it is it's a very regimented thing but with the underdog it's you're being creative in how you move about the world it's and it's not just unreachable goals or really tough goals it's it's trying to get from point a to point b in a very creative way for me like growing up one of my biggest things was to get out of cleveland i needed to get out of cleveland and i knew that like there there was nothing for me there and as I talked about earlier, judo was that means to an end. Like I could have very easily stayed in Cleveland, finished a four-year degree there, wrestled at one of those high schools. But when I got the offer to do judo, that's when something else was offered for me. And I pursued it with everything I had because that became my creative outlet to achieve this goal. And once I got to judo, I kind of fell into that mindset of that sort of one year from the day, that one moment that has yet to come. And kind of getting to that. And because I was still so immersed in the world of judo, I thought nothing of it until I retired from it. Once I started retiring from it, I sort of hit a wall, essentially. Like, all right, well, now I have nothing to plan for. What do I do? And then once I retired, I jumped right into school. I jumped right into school. I was like, all right, now my short term is back on track again. I need to finish school. and I need to finish this social degree. However, life had different plans for me. I've, my greatness train of wherever it was heading kept getting rocked and derailed. And it kind of came to a head uh, this year. I fell into just a, a state of panic, depression, and hopelessness, honestly, because I was so focused on trying to get to this goal, I neglected to check in with myself. I neglected to address like things that were happening around me. And because of that, like there's a lot of, undealt with trauma that sort of like lied there. And I think that whether you're pursuing a huge goal or small goal, there's something to be said about really checking in with yourself and breathing through what's life, what life is throwing at you and understanding that, or at least seeking to understand why things happen to you. Like why something tragic has happened, why 
this painful memory just keeps hitting you or coming back in a dream and like sitting and whether it's self-reflection, um, meditation, talking with people, venting, whatever your form of self-care is, I think that's something that really, that's really important to start incorporating with your lives. And once I did that, I, uh, I, again, like one of my biggest things is, uh, is connection. I love connecting with people. I love talking with people. And that's why I want to be a speaker. And like, I, I was able to sit and realize that like with just like not even caring about what's happening in the future. And then once I did that, I started laying out a plan for myself immediately. Of I started building, I just started reaching out. I started reaching out to people who I had no idea like anything about other than this person is a speaker and he might be a resource. And that too is something that I learned and like in chasing goals and like trying to be creative and how you manage your life is I learned this from a, from a Ted talk. Um, actually like the top five people you keep in your life can almost dictate who you become in the future because those are the people who, for me, like this wasn't from the Ted talk. This is just something I sort of analyzed on myself and thinking of my top five closest friends. I see like the better pieces of myself in those people. Not that like I already have those skills in a lot of ways I do, but the pieces that I see in them are pieces that I want to be of the closest people that I have in my life. And, and I think in turn that helps me sort of start setting goals to meet that, to meet that standard that I see in my friends that I want to become. And I think that uh, when it comes to, I guess, like the everyday person who is sort of chasing a, a life of normality and living that, it wants to step outside the box. I think a lot of times that that whole notion of, well, that's too unachievable of a goal, that's not realistic, that is a very fear-based mentality. And, and it's okay to be afraid of something. It's okay to address that, like, yeah, I'm afraid of something. But I think that is the biggest thing that hinders us, whether it's an athlete pursuing an Olympic or Paralympic Games or someone who's pursuing a management job at a small company. It's, it's your fear and where is it driving you? And what I, for me, my fear drove me, to, drove me away to, from something into something else. What I see a lot of people who, who don't want to chase those big dreams, who have big dreams and it's a lot of times talk, will cut themselves off from like even entertaining the idea of this because I don't want to fail and I don't want to lose what I have. So I'm just going to shut this door forever. And, and again, to go back to like how I addressed my fear, how I managed it, it was my biggest fear was ending up back in Cleveland. That was a huge fear of mine. I had done all this work to get out. I was finally starting to, I think I was finally starting to become D'Artagnan <laughs> instead of that scared kid who didn't know much from outside the life of Cleveland because my world had just opened up and my biggest fear was going back. And instead of fearing it going back and also fearing failure, I feared going back and I ran away from it, but I ran to something else. I ran to judo 
and I embraced it and I like held on again, like we talked about earlier to that goal. That's, that's not there yet. But for me, it was tangible because I knew exactly what I didn't want. But I think what also you may have alluded to Dantan, you know, you went, when you talked about hitting the wall when you retired and, and having all that traumatic experiences come back and materialize, do you think because, and this is probably every, not every athlete's worst nightmare, but in terms of when they're actually in the athletic arena, they're so focused, be it dedicated, passionate, and, and sometimes obsessed on their craft, because you're so single-minded on that process day in, day out, you kind of forget all the hardships that you've either endured or suffered in the past, and it doesn't actually materialize uh, till later on in life. Okay, when you, you, you take, a sip, take, a sip, uh, take a step back and reflect, and I think this is probably me more specifically because I, I, I do have similar sentiments. That's where those anxiety issues, mental health issues arose because mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, I had these problems. Because you don't talk about them, Mm-hmm. Because we t- and we t- we touched upon this off air in terms of we are quite robotic in a sense because we have to put the shutters up we have to put up this facade that we are mm-hmm. in a sense a true sense of the word of male bravado because we have <laughs> to be strong yeah we we're not it's we probably don't touch base with our feelings like we once did as children and be very much be able to talk to people because oh it's not the, it's not the thing to be done to talk about my feelings I have to deal with them myself whereas if you probably got that weight off your chest off your shoulders you would feel a yeah. lot better you would feel a lot better with yourself uh, where you're at absolutely honestly if I can go back and do anything different throughout my uh, athletic career I would introduce more vulnerability in my life I would seek out to be vulnerable. I would take more chances being vulnerable with my emotions, with my feelings, and really seeking the treatment that I needed. Um, and in and, and speaking of vulnerability, uh, just something that just came up for me, like with how you're talking about uh, just sort of that sort of childlike mentality kind of comes back after not addressing things for so many years. Uh, my fiance, who's like an incredible woman, uh, one day, this was just this week, actually. And she just kind of came up to me and was like, can I read you a children's book? And I was like, yes, actually, yes, you can read me this children's book. And so we just laid on a bed and she started reading this book to me. And it's called The Little Light in the Sun. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And as she was reading it to me, like I stopped her. I'm like when she was still on the first couple pages and I stopped her, I'm like, I don't know what it is about you reading this book to me right now, but it's powerful. And something, I don't know what it is right now, and I can't explain it, but I just needed to say that, keep reading, and then we'll talk about it once you're done reading. And as she kept reading, I I just started crying, like really crying, like ugly crying. And, and it felt like my heart was gripped, not like gripped with pain, but with, but with love. And at the end of... After she finished reading the book, I real it, it hit me as she was uh, reading, and then like I just let her finish, and at the end of it, I I just told her it's like this was healing. 
This was absolutely healing. If thinking back to the traumatic experience that I've dealt with in my childhood that were just never addressed, just the simple act of her reading that children's book to me, it felt like she just reached into my soul, saw that, saw the pain that I was feeling and gave me a piece of my childhood back that I felt was robbed from me. And, and honestly, that was probably the most healing, amazing thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And I think that part of that is because, you know, I, I embraced that vulnerability. I, and she did too, in saying like, hey, I'm going to ask my 28-year-old fiance if I could read him a children's book, <laughs> you know, and little things like that. And, and I think that that's where, like, we could succeed better as athletes if we introduce more vulnerability and connectivity into our lives. Because I think that's, and, and kind of going back to the underdog story, I think that is the driving factor behind the success of any underdog is human connection and vulnerability. Because for me, like, honestly, I would not have gotten where I did today if I didn't have people who invested into me and not needing like resources or money, just one belief in me. Uh, my father growing up every day, he would always tell me it is my job as a father to teach you to be a better man than me. And something else too, he taught me was to never use my visual impairment as a crutch on a consistent basis. These are the messages that he taught me. And like, I, I think whether he realized it or not, he really invested into my future because, because he told me he loved me every day, because he told me he was proud every day. I wanted to be that person he believed that I was. And, and I think that that was, like I said, that was the driving force behind my success as, I guess, an underdog, as what people view those stories of the adversity, the belief in oneself, and then that triumph. It's, those are absolutely important pieces of that narrative. But I think the, the pivotal piece, that paramount piece that really brings it together and really brings us together as humanity is human connection, is being able to step outside your comfort zone and invest into someone and say, and, and treat them not for their circumstances, but for the potential they become, that they, for, for the potential that they have. It kind of goes back to that old saying, if you, treat, if you teach a man to fish, if you, if you take a man to fish, he remains, he eats for a day. If you teach a man the fish, he eats for a lifetime. And that is the very same sediment with the underdog story. It's people taught me how to really believe in myself. People taught me how to expect more from myself. People taught me how to, to essentially discipline myself when I make a mistake. Like these are the most important things that like you can get to be taught as an underdog when someone invests into you. And someone invests just a few words of kindness and just treating you as if they're worth their, as if you're worth their time. I think you'd echo this in terms of that, the, the, this, I don't want to say quote, but sentiment in terms of because you've got that kind of adaptable mindset, open mindedness, most people echo the sentiment of the sky the sky is the limit in terms of you don't put any limitation or limiting beliefs on your ability to achieve anything and this is where i think where probably people and problems arise is when they start to believe what other people be it 
problems other people have suffered in the past. And a lot of times it is family that are the limiting. <laughs> the fact, the fact is where, where <laughs> you are right blocks, there, my brother. <laughs> I, th- I think it's where I, I, they do have their best in intentions. Aha, and I did a previous episode solely on that in terms of, okay, your family has the best intentions at heart, be it you need to get a real job, uh, be it from that perspective. And I think because you surround yourself with like-minded people, or very, you could say positive, or mm-hmm. kind of going in, pushing in the right, same direction and, and the right direction as perhaps you see it, you take on board those sentiments as well. You, you, you are looking out for me as best as you perceive it. I will say, mm-hmm. I don't agree, but I will hear you out because that's mm-hmm. how I've been brought up. Right. And I'll take on board, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put hundred percent into my endeavors and we mm-hmm. see where it goes for rightly or wrongly. I think you, you as the individual, have to make those choices and and kind of live with those the the consequences okay it turned out okay for me and i think they once they saw a few years down the line that okay yes it is a career you can make a a a job out of it i'm lucky that i'm in the uk where that there is a little bit more financial reward than say maybe the us with, with paralympic sport but i was willing to and that happens back to probably the, the the dream or the belief I had as a kid. I wanted to become a professional athlete. Okay, mm-hmm. it transpired once I got to a teenager that what I wanted to do as a as a career was not physically feasible. Be it either doing so, being a professional soccer player or playing basketball, that's not possible. So to be able to give in that outlet and get into the Paralympic realms was kind of i'm not going to say a godsend but it's kind of like all the all everything seemed to fall into place every right. i couldn't put a foot wrong <laughs> say throughout my entire career but everything seemed to be if anything went wrong something was there to, i was had somewhere to fall back on and i seemed to be in the right place at the right time you could say that's there's an element of luck in there to some extent, but okay, you have to have the talent to be able to be able to deliver and and be able to do it again mm-hmm. and again every year it, it, at that level. But I think hearing my family out, okay, I had my mother in my corner say, "As long as you do it, you put every effort as mm-hmm. you can into it. I will support you." And to probably hear that at what would I have been, 14 years old? Okay. I probably, at times, I probably wavered slightly and, and, and she would probably be the, the stronger force behind it. Oh, James, you need to go, you need to put a little bit more effort into it. And I think she does from time to time say to me, well, if you'd have put in the same amount of effort as you did when you were a rower, <laughs> into swimming, which I started out of, where would you have turned out in? It's like, well, that's all... We'll, we'll never know in terms of where is that's going to materialize because individual sport is individual sport. You may not get selected or any, any number of things. Could have it's like, okay, yes, I will agree with that argument, but we will never know. It's I, I learned from necessarily 
the mediocrity that I mm-hmm. uh, put in place in swimming and, and changed that once uh, I uh, transferred over to, to another sport and went up the ladder. Okay, now I don't have time to rest on my laurels and kind of have time to develop. I have to now de- now deliver every time my number is called, be it I have the international vest on because that is what is expected of me. So I think even at a young 19-year-old, I, I, I knew that was what was going to be expected from me. But I think it was being surrounded among those athletes to learn from over those three years, you know, well, this is what is going to be expected of me when I get there. So it's nothing alien to me. Right. And I think, too, uh, something to be said about uh, pursuing who you are rather than pursuing who you should be. For me, if like the times that I've been drawn away from something or drawn to something, it's because either that me, something me, me being drawn away from isn't right for me. And I answer that calling. Like those doubts and fears that you have of going into something, address them. Address them and talk about them. Have an internal monologue with the dialogue with yourself. Talk it out with someone. Uh, like for example, for a long time, I thought that social work was going to be my end all be all after I got out of, after I retired. And again, after, like I talked about earlier, how everything kind of came to a head and I fell into that place of hopelessness and just that state of panic and depression. I finally had time to like sit and check in with myself. And I was able to talk about it with one of my advisors, one of my professors. And she was like, just from the conversations that we've had, just from, you know, how I wrote, how I wrote my paper. She was just like, think about this for just think about it for a day or a week, however long you need to, but maybe go into sociology because social work is much more on a macro level. I'm much more on a micro level, especially at the undergrad and sociology covers that big picture. And, and immediately like my decision was made. I had to, cha- I had to minor in social work and major in sociology like that. That just had to happen. There was no other thing because I, for me, I began to pursue who I am and accepted that like, okay, social work, it gave me all the tools I needed up until this point. Now it's not, for now all that I'm pursuing a speaking career, sociology is going to help me connect the rest of those pieces. But do you think, D'Artagnan, that your athletic career had, a, had some bearing on, 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 on that decision to some extent? Because it's very, Absolutely. I don't say it's you're micromanaged to so, to, to, to so much of a degree, but it is, it is from, for people... It, within it, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. It's no black and white. Very regimented, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, what my sport taught me most of all is that you will have no greater satisfaction than pursuing something you love with everything you have, whether you know that there's a great monetary reward at the end of it or there isn't. You don't pursue it because you want a socioeconomic status or high wealth. You don't pursue the Paralympics because you want to be rich, because that's not going to happen. You're not going to be like a Michael Phelps or a LeBron James pursuing the Paralympics. And I knew that. But the thing is, for me, like, because it started out as that means to an end, I was able to start to fall in love with it. And I fell in love with that sport and what it, what it did for me internally as a person and then where it took me like in my career. And 
And so what that's like, how that, how I translate that back into life is to pursue something that calls you. Judo called me. I fell in love with judo. I didn't care about the monetary value. I just wanted to be the best in the world at my sport. And then like now in life, sociology and speaking is calling me. And instead of like staying in on something to wait and try and move my way up in a company, I will stop whatever I need to do, whatever I'm doing in that instant, I'll reflect on it. I'll think about it. I will talk it out with other people, but I'm going to pursue whatever is calling me because I, I see it all the time. A lot of people will pursue that six figure job and make those sacrifices in order for, you know, for them to pursue that safe goal, for them to pursue like what they want to do and never address those fears and doubts of going into that. And then they'll get into it and then they'll, they'll spend an entire career unhappy. And, and when I think about investment too, because so many people invested in me, I, I think it, I owe it to them to invest in myself and also invest in those around me as well. And if you aren't addressing your own doubts and fears going into something, and you're allowing that space and allowing yourself to be miserable through a career, through school or whatever it is, you're not investing the type of love and care into yourself that you need to be doing. And I think hearing you speak that Tanya, in terms of, and this is where I'm going to come from this, you think that to some extent there's no place for, and people don't take this wrong in terms of, there's no place for perseverance in terms of when, you want to do something and how you, you talk there, you say most people will push through no matter what the circumstances is for the actual reward. Whereas as you and I will probably attest to, we could, we could, I won't say we care less, but in terms of we were doing it for the passion of the mm-hmm. sport. So we're going to do it no matter what. For our love, for the for love it. of the for the what well, quote, quote 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 the film for the love of the game, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no matter what, I I could care less. I think the more the drive, for me more specifically, I think for the Paralympics was was the probably representation of of the country, and that was a reward enough for me. It was mm-hmm. to be able to put on that jersey. Okay, I think probably the pinnacle would probably hear your national anthem. That's not going to happen for every athlete because obviously right. it would defeat the object to, for, for, of the actual uh, the process because if everybody did it, it kind of... Right. It. And I think more importantly too is uh, when, when we as athletes or, or entrepreneurs or people who like pursue that thing that they're calling, that's calling them, it, it's not just because uh, they... It's not just for like, the the special rewards that we get like competing for your country uh traveling the world a a big piece for me was judo allowed me in many ways to be my best self in that time and more than anything more than money more than all the resources in the world more than school i think i needed that most is to learn how to be the best version of myself and so i can continue to grow and and develop that and it's not to say that, like, don't push through something because it's hard, because you know as well as I do, just like any other athlete that's listening to this, your sport can be the most stressful thing in the world. It is not a cakewalk. It's not a vacation. It's not something that's easy. You do it because it's hard. 
And so the, one of the biggest things that I learned too, if it doesn't suck at least a little bit, it's not worth doing. Like those things that like that push you, that challenge you, make gives you opportunity to understand more about yourself, more about your limitations, more about what barriers that you know that you can break. And and when you are when you do start to break those barriers, you start building confidence, not just in your craft of like your sport, but outside of it. Because we all know that sport doesn't last forever. Like once you have a sort of confidence knowing that like whatever I pursue, I'm going to be great at it. And I think that's the mentality of an athlete is whatever I pursue, I'm going to be great at it. And I'm going to be the best version of myself while doing it. And I like to wrap up with these last two questions on my show, D'Artagnan. If you had to, and I'm going to phrase it slightly differently for once, if you wanted to get somebody to either challenge or change their inner belief system, how would you get them to do that first and foremost? Um, a lot of self-reflect. Um, something my fiance does that helps her is she'll ask other people. She'll not necessarily for, for validation, but for understanding and to kind of gauge what people, what other people see. Uh, for me, my path was slightly different. I was, because of Jude, I was able to actually explore and understand more about myself. A lot of people, and I understand that, don't really get that opportunity. When you like go straight through high school, then from high school, you go straight to your college degree. From college, you go straight into working. You don't really get a chance to like open up other doors. You're just walking down this hallway to get out of it. But because I had time to like open up these other doors and like experience, what's on the other side of that door? Nope, not for me. Look, look into a different door. Like, you know what? I'm going to hang out in this room for a while. I want to see what like this room says about D'Artagnan and figure out like what other doors I need to start opening up. So I would definitely like do a lot of self-reflection. Meditation is a big thing for me. Um, yoga. Uh, and honestly, a lot of self-care. And also a lot of times it, it helps to go for a walk. Just go for a walk and just let yourself be present in that walk. Leave your phone at home. Leave any nonsense at the door and kind of compartmentalize your needs. And like in that, know that like this need is for me. This is for my self-reflection. This is for my growth. This is for like my own understanding of who I am. And my final question to you, D'Artagnan, before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? That is an excellent question. <laughs> um, summarizing today what we just talked about into one sentence for people to take away. Definitely chase your one year from today. Don't mistake the seasonal for, don't, I have it, I have it. All right. Chase your one year for today. Plan your goals out, plan your life out, but don't mistake your seasonal piece of your life for your permanent calling. And more importantly, don't neglect your need to be present. I love it. So once again, D'Artagnan, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you, James, for having me. It was, it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let D'Artagnan and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging me over on Instagram at jamesoroberts11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. But please do let D'Artagnan know via his Facebook page at D'Artagnan Crockett fan page and again do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources 
Also, don't forget to give D'Artagnan's Facebook page a like. Make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category sports. So once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.